Hi again, and welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Bracey. In this series, we talk to doctors about all the fascinating and inspiring things they're doing in and alongside their medical careers as they forge their own creative paths. In this episode, number 12 of the series, our guest is Dr. Sarah Suter. Uh, Sarah is an occupational and aviation medicine specialist who, as she explains in this conversation that we recorded back at the CCIM 2019 event on the Gold Coast, was perhaps always destined to end up uh, in a career in aviation medicine. Um, currently Group Medical Officer at Virgin Australia Airlines, Sarah has previously held roles as Senior Medical Officer at Air New Zealand and at the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, uh, but it was a decision early in her medical career, at a point she describes when she was going through a period of feeling somewhat directionless perhaps or unsure about the path that she was on, that the decision to travel from New Zealand to remote New South Wales changed her course forever. This episode of the CCIM podcast is brought to you by the Royal Australasian College of Medical Administrators. RACMA is an accredited specialist medical college compromising medical practitioners with specialist training in management and leadership of health services and systems. To find out more about how you can go from doctor to medical leader and how RACMA might be able to help you, head over to racma.edu.au. That's R-A-C-M-A dot E-D-U dot A-U. As I mentioned at the top, this is another of the interviews we did up on the Gold Coast on the sidelines of the CCIM 2019 event. It was at the very end of a very inspiring but long day, so I'm very grateful that Sarah, who came straight from her own presentation uh, to do this interview, was so generous with her time. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Dr. Sarah Suda, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been a long day. We're up here in the Gold Coast at Creative Careers and Medicine Conference, so I appreciate your time this evening. Thanks, Andrew. Um, now, you're here um, at the conference to speak about, you've just spoken this afternoon, about your, your work in aviation medicine. You're currently the Group Medical Officer for Virgin Australia. Um, can you explain a bit about what that role um, entails for you, what your day-to-day is? Because from what I understand, you're regularly commuting from the Snowy Mountains to, to Brisbane and, and often Sydney. How does that work for you and what's what's a day-to-day or week-to-week sort of um, professional existence for, for you? Yeah, well, I guess that's right. I truly make the most of my role within the airline sitting as a passenger in the back of the aircraft quite often these days. Um, we are located in Cooma in the Snowy Mountains um, and we moved there to live the rural Australian lifestyle, which we enjoy, and also because of my husband's work in, in rural medicine at the time. Um, But when the opportunity came up to go back into the airline industry, um, which it did a couple of years ago, uh, initially in a locum form, um, I just realised my addiction for the airline industry was still there. I hadn't treated it properly, (laughs) and um, I took up that opportunity, even though it has meant quite, quite a painful commute at times. I'm lucky enough that my employer are very flexible. Um, Because of the work I do, I can be anywhere a lot of the time. Uh, I'm based in Sydney, but the head office is in Brisbane. So I usually commute up for a stretch of a few days at a time. Um, I've become a very good customer of a a reasonably um, cheap hotel chain. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) And uh, although that, you know, can be a bit frustrating at times, it was a decision that my family were happy to support, knowing it meant that I could go back into something I was really, really passionate about. How long ago was it that you sort of transitioned into to this full-time? You said you went from local into full-time. Is this a, a, a re- relatively recent decision that you've been transitioned? 
Yeah, and after working for the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, the regulator in mm. Canberra, shortly after we moved to Cooma, um, which was an opportunity that came up slightly unexpectedly, but I really enjoyed and took it for what it was, learnt a lot there. Um, I was working for a corporate occupational health company when um, a friend and mentor of mine who was about to start in the job I'm in now in, in Virgin um, had a break in uh, between when they were starting the job and, and, and then the previous doctor had left. So he rang and said, would I be interested in the job? And that was in 2016, middle of the year, just for a short six weeks, which was um, unfortunately for my family what led to the um, reignition of my <laughs> <Addiction>. airline <laughs> career addiction. And um, I uh, was lucky enough to fill in for him and Loken for that couple of years. But when he moved on um, to another more international role um, and this opportunity came up, I jumped at it. So what, what is it that you're actually doing day to day? Are you, are you working with pilots or is it more of a consultancy role in terms of how, how the airline, um, what sort of protocols they have in terms of um, medical treatment or, or, or care for, 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 for travellers? What's, what's your role actually entail? Yeah, it's a bit of, bit of all of those things, Andrew. It's really, um, it's got a clinical role, exactly that, in, in seeing pilots for their annual medical certification, which is their sort of fitness to keep flying, yep. a ticket to keep flying. Um, it's also involved seeing employees with my with an occupational health hat on who may be struggling at work right. um, to establish their fitness for work, how a workplace might accommodate them to carry on. A lot of our work in that regard is around in the mental health area. Um, it's probably at the moment, um, and it's probably reflective in general of, of, of things in the community. You know, it'll be well over 50% of the work that we do in that space. Um, it is because Virgin have quite a focus on mental health and well-being at the moment as well, um, like many companies. Um, but also the role involves um, policy um, advice and recommendations. Um, you're acting as a subject matter expert to the company uh -huh. on a range of different things involving both employees um, and passengers. So we look after the cabin crew training um, for um, emergency aviation medicine, emergency yep, type yep. assistance, the passenger, the, the, the emergency kits on board. Um, we look after clearance for passengers to fly with medical conditions. Um, and um, we, yeah, we all, there's also just anything and everything that comes in the door each day in a company with over 10,000 employees yeah. in a group yeah. spread across Australia and New Zealand. Right. Yeah. So... Along with that, that's right, I think you, you touched on um, your work with the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, um, uh, your role as a medical examiner, which I, I learned today is called a DAME, and which sounds very grand, of course. <laughs> and I, I also learned that it actually stands for a designated aviation medical examiner. So in that role, on behalf of the, the CASA or the, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, you, you're assessing pilots or air, air traffic controllers for fitness to fly or fitness to work. Um, you've been doing this for like 20 years, I think. Um, I'm just, what is it about working with pilots and air traffic controllers, these, these kinds of people, that, that you must be finding so rewarding? I mean, did you always have an affinity for, for the people working in this space, or is it, or did that come from your interest in, 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 in flying and, and, and airlines and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think, um, as has been the theme, these, this, um, certainly today, um, where, you're, where you are now is a sum of all the parts, really, and it's, um, it's, it's come from different threads. Yes, I've, I've been doing that regulatory work um, as an examiner, and that was started in New Zealand when I first um, became interested 
uh, and more formally in aviation medicine and did the diploma in aviation medicine through Otago University, which is a three-year part-time um, qualification, uh, postgraduate qualification, and I started a job at Air New Zealand. So for that job, it was a requirement that I could examine pilots under the New Zealand equivalent right. of the CASA DAMI, and I still hold that certification today. So here I do do some New Zealand pilot medical examination um, and um, the Australian DAMI work. And, you know, they we, we always say pilots are a special breed. Um, I think having worked with pilots for 20 years yeah. now, yeah, you do. They're a very interesting bunch. They're very committed and passionate um, about the work they do. They do a really interesting job, um, which is uh, a very important job and, you know, obviously has all the bells and whistles and glamour associated with it. But at the end of the day, it's a very technical role. Um, obviously, there's a lot, several hundred passengers. A lot of um, stress and pressure and responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. a lot of really interesting, um, I guess, physiological effects from flying, uh, as well as the, the, the sort of uh, mental health effects. So it's there. It's a really interesting role, and they're, they're really interesting people. They tend to be very interested in their own health. Um, so I do really enjoy working with that group. Is it tough? Yeah. Because obviously, you know, if, if you have the say on whether to ground or, or pilots effectively and stop them from working, do they do they are they often sort of nervous coming in and having, a, having an examination with that kind of thing well, with, it, with that much riding on it? It's really funny. You know, pilots do simulator checks every, you know, say every six months. To, mm. And it's one of their, one of the few professions where they have to constantly show that they meet the standard. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not something that's really common to any other work group. And when they come in for their medical, I always um, tease them because they always think that they're coming in for their very last medical. <laughs> and I say, you know, there's about five or ten pilots a year that are going to get grounded in yeah. Australia, um, and I don't think you're going to be it today. <laughs> um, so they always, we, you know, I usually take their blood pressure last, um, or certainly after <laughs> once, we've had a few once jokes. Once they feel like it's... That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And one of the most important things we do is just to sit down and have a good chat with someone, find out what's happening, what's yep. happening at home, what's happening at work, what are the stresses and strains, and try and build that trust relationship. Because at the end of the day, um, yeah, we, we don't see ourselves as sort of the gatekeeper, um, although we might technically be on some of those issues, but we mm. really see ourselves as working with the pilots in yeah. a very trusted relationship so that when they really do need to be grounded um, yeah. for, from a safety perspective, a health perspective, they'll come to us and seek help. So it's about developing that relationship. Because there is, I mean, even for you, as you say, it's a vital role. Because you see that, you know, on the tragic end of the scale, when, when those things aren't picked up and when pilots who, who probably might well have um, needed to be grounded and, and you see planes crashing because of that, I guess that's, that's the... the that's the line, isn't it? That's these are the kinds of things that you're trying to prevent, and also accidents as as well. Yeah, and that's and I think that's the like anything in healthcare, we're trying to act at the front end. We don't want to be the ambulance yeah. at the bottom of the cliff. Um, so we're all about trying to, um, I guess, promote health and well-being in the in the flight crew, um, in our role and in the aviation community in general, developing good relationships, um, making. The, the, the regulator not so much of a so much of a stick of course it, it has to be the, yeah. the line in the sand yeah. and ultimately in the Damey role we're an examiner of that pilot on behalf of CASA and ultimately CASA have the final say well we can defer to CASA under the Australian rules um, for final assessment um, but again it's all about that trust relationship ultimately now switching gear a little bit before we started recording of the interview we, we were talking a little bit off mic about um your interest in flying is there is there something 
about flying that's really enthralled you over the years? Whether was it was it always a, a keen interest or it's something that you've sort of realised that you've been involved with your entire life now? <laughs> um, I said when I in my little blurb when I uh, out to the our wider team in safety when I started in the job at Virgin that I, my, most of my family or pretty much all of them are either doctors or pilots. So I was kind of felt in hindsight a bit destined to end <laughs> up in this area. Um, my dad was a rural GP with a PPL and we flew around quite a bit when I was little in the back of a Cessna um, and I used to go to lots of air shows and things like that and of course I guess it's all part of that yeah. exposure isn't it that you grow up with um, and then probably my next really major um, life piece was the flying doctor service in Australia which yeah. gave me a really a real taste and respect for the industry um, I absolutely loved that. That was raw kind of retrieval medicine, fun flying, working as a team, all those things. Um, Sounds really like, enjoyed. though, that the work, something that you might have been exposed to with your, with your dad, though, would, would have very much normalised that. It didn't, it wouldn't, did it seem like a strange thing to be... I mean, obviously you were, you were, you were finding it rewarding, but it seemed a fairly normal way to well, <laughs> help I think, people, I guess. I think, um, yeah, and I think I've always had a real interest in the aviation um, sector. I mean, I, I don't fly myself. I've done a few hours flying, but um, it might be on my bucket list for down the track. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I haven't. I, I really probably have grown up with a lot of aviation around me. So you're right. I guess it was sort of normalised, and then, and then um, once I did medicine and became a little disillusioned with the traditional kind of hospital pathways, couldn't find one that fitted me, and these opportunities cropped up um, that involved aircraft. I thought, mm, this this could really be a nice fit here. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask you. I mean, how did? Well, I was going to ask you how it compares to. Um, traditional you know mm. general practice or, or you know any other sort of specialist um pathway. but it sounds like almost all entirety of your professional career has been wrapped up in, in aviation is that did, was there ever a period where you weren't involved we we were seeing patients outside of you know removed from aviation <laughs> yes yes um i mean obviously past the internship years yeah. and then um I, I've had periods of time doing locum work um, in, in hospitals around the place. I've done, I just spent some time as an emergency medicine registrar, again with the concept of doing retrieval work, uh -huh. but realising that in my 40s I probably wasn't that interested in getting up at three in the morning and flying somewhere <laughs> in bad weather to pick something, yeah. someone up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, um, yeah, I guess it's just, there has been a whole bunch of little pieces that have all come together. Um, the occupational medicine part's been a big role in that if you're interested in workplace health and I think that's what's really ultimately um, may give, you know, contributed to my addiction to the to the airline industry because that's got that lovely mix of, of everything and um, you know, I love working in work in workplaces, it sounds silly. But um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that. So there's been lots of different angles. Yeah. I've done some general practice stuff, but not formally trained in it, mm -hmm. um, and had breaks from it along the way, both from uh, for having kids along the way, and also perhaps when um, aviation jobs, um, which are, tend to be a little bit few and far between at times, haven't been available, and I've done less of them. But throughout it, I've always kept doing the pilot medical yeah. assessment as a as a Dami or New Zealand examiner. Just going back to the the RFGS stuff that you did. Um, how did that come about? What was, was it something that you you had to? Um, did they come looking for you, or was it, was it you saw the opportunity? How did how did it come about? Well, that's a, that's a good story. It's one I I told today actually, <laughs> um, because I went out to Broken Hill 
to visit, to look for a friend of mine from med school who'd gone off the, off the grid. Right. She had gone to work in Brokenhill Hospital and hadn't heard from her in ages. And my friends one in a bar one night in Christchurch, one wintry night, said, well, Sarah, you're not really doing anything at the moment. You don't seem to have any direction. You're not setting up yourself for a, tr a training program anywhere. I think you should go and see what she's up to. Go and do a locum. So I signed myself up for a locum at Broken Hill Hospital. And after being there for a couple of months, um, one of the doctors from, from the UK that was supposed to come and work in a vacancy at the RFDS had turned up and seen Broken Hill and fled back in the other direction. <laughs> Good so I had a, yeah, so I had a beer with the um, CMO at the time who told me, all the skills I didn't have, yep. but said that because I was actually in Broken Hill and I appeared to be able to tolerate it for more <laughs> than 24 hours, I was now the most qualified person for the job. <laughs> so they very kindly sent me to the operating theatres for a while and did some um, basic 101 anaesthetics with me, and all the nurses are very highly trained and all midwifery trained. Uh -huh. Um, and I realised that a lot about the job was um, some quite some quite basic stuff um, yeah. and also some stuff that was hard to get taught in a hospital environment because some of it was fairly confronting. It was clinical medicine that you just wouldn't see in a, in a city hospital. So mm. pretty much no one's trained for a job like that. You yeah. just have to sort of fly by the city of your pants a little bit anyway. <laughs> what were the early cases? Was it, was it, were there any that sort of, um, the cases that stood out that, that, that really sort of helped you take a bit of a leap in terms of your, 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 the things that you were learning that you were saying you can't really learn until you're there? Yeah, I had to deliver a breech baby, um, which I'd never done except for as a med student, a delivery, in a clinic, uh, in a um, patient with her seventh, pregnancy uh, who'd had twins the previous president had no antenatal care so we had no idea if there was one or two in there right. um, and then it was breach and I had no contact I had no no one else in the clinic with me that day apart from one of the nurses who said this to is, disappear. This is well outside of This town. is well it's about three hours in a very small clinic about three hours out of Broken Hill right. um, so whilst I waited for the aircraft to arrive and sort of the retrieval team yeah. on for that day as I was the clinic doctor, yeah. um, I had the obstetrician on the phone who promptly hung up on me and said, hold the feet up, good luck, and slammed the phone down. And um, we muddled through and resuscitated the baby as it came out and um, that was a pretty stressful experience, <laughs> but it's <laughs> not what I was... But we saw the... Mother and baby about six weeks later in clinic. Everyone was Very happy non healthy. Everyone was happy. It was a perfectly normal way to have perfectly a baby. Perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah. That's how we do it at Brooklyn. Yeah, that's right. I mean, coming from, from New Zealand, were you, obviously you weren't as turned off by, by the, the, the UK doctor who had, who had fled um, ahead of you, but was it something, that, were you prepared for just how different it is out there? Because it's a completely different life, It isn't is it? completely different. Um, probably... Look, not, but I was 26. I was wanting some adventure. You found I it. was open minded. <laughs> yes, I found it. And I was absolutely besotted with the Flying Doctor Service, having watched the program The Flying Doctors as I grew up as a teenager in New Zealand. And so I was really, I just found myself living the TV program. Yeah. And I thought, this is really cool. <laughs> and it was really cool. Yeah. It's so, an uh, amazing uh, yeah, life imitated art. And yeah, and it's you. an amazing, iconic um, organisation. We did some amazing things. You know? you can, they, they, did, they did such amazing things. I was lucky enough to, to fly with them in, I think it was the year of their 80th anniversary. I went, I went with a GP who was doing a day clinic um, uh, out the back of 
for a little place called uh, Angonia, where they have a, they were running. I'm not sure if they're still running that clinic there, but I was able to go out there and sort of see how she would set up for the day and see her patients and people would come in from all the, the areas around people who and it was great to see like healthcare being given to people who otherwise wouldn't have seen a doctor at all and that was such a vital sort of showed just what a vital service it is it must be incredibly rewarding for, for someone like yourself in that role to be able to help people that otherwise are completely alone yeah and and not just al- i mean they are alone um physically because mm. a lot of the places well, are so remote. Term, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I guess we're yeah, talking about the, 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 the distance, distance. Yeah. They are. and um, But also very much, you know, psychological health was a big feature of mm. that. And I think as I was saying today, you know, it was the drought. Um, there are a lot of young women who are in stations where their husbands will have disappeared off for weeks on end to yeah. take stock off to sell. And people would just be lonely and they would come to the RFDS clinics because they just wanted to have a cup of tea, they wanted to talk to someone. We used to take a lot of calls from women who were really struggling. Um, And I say women because they were often the ones left behind on the stations. Um, But, you know, it's a really challenging environment. But it's it's raw and it's um, amazing. And I get really angry when I hear people say that the outback's all the same in the middle of Australia. And I say, well, you either haven't been there, you certainly haven't (laughs) lived there, um, and when we went back and later in life with, with family, uh, my son, who was eight at the time, used to wake us up at five in the morning, who's not ever really been much of a nature lover, and say, you've just sort of got to see the sunrise. So the light and the sort of the, the natural environment there is just so amazing. And to be up in the air flying around and doing some really interesting, challenging medical stuff and working in a team and meeting amazing people who I still see and keep in touch with, was very I was very fortunate um I'm interested in, in about hearing about the the sort of sacrifices that you've made along the way obviously moving away from from New Zealand leaving I'm presuming like your entire family behind do you have any family over here or was you were you the first to, to head over this way yes we're the um no we're the first so both both my husband and myself um, our families all in New Zealand different places right um We've always yo-yoed backwards and forwards to Australia, both of us Is individually virgin, before virgin we met. With... <laughs> um, and Virgin helps now on staff travel. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always really helpful, even if you can't get a seat on a standby flight, <laughs> at least you feel like you could potentially go at the last minute, in theory. No, it's been pretty good. Um, so that's helpful. Um, I think living rurally is always a yeah. bit of a challenge. So if we lived in a major centre, that would be so much simpler um living mm. a little bit further away has always posed a bit more of a barrier to our family um but we do try and we go home you know at least once a year with the kids and and maybe a couple of times for each other just to keep in touch um perhaps if we could go back to the point you made earlier about catching the flyback because I'm, I'm keen to, to hear about your foray into flying yourself and whether it's something that you're eventually going to do what what's what, what what's your flying experience been and what, where do you want to go yeah, so my flying experience was really only, I started, I had this vision, really sort of, again, this this vision that I was going to get taught by this really experienced, passionate instructor, I was going to, I was not, a, it didn't matter how long it took for me to get a PPL, or if I got a PPL, but I was just going to learn flying from someone who would give, pass on the wisdom of this, <laughs> and what I found in reality was a bit different to that, it was at an aero club, and there was a different instructor every time, right. they were young, and they were trying to get their instructor hours up to get into the, an airline job, yep. and so that was a little bit disillusioning for me, because it wasn't how I imagined it, um, and I, 
Um, I, I, I did enjoy the flying, although actually being self-critical, I'm not sure I'd make a really fabulous pilot. <laughs> I'm more of a big picture person than a details person. Right. I feel like I really need to have a better, have more detail focus, of course, if you're hope, a well, pilot. Well, you hope that, uh, you'd hope that being at, at the controls <laughs> yes. might help to sharpen that focus um, a little bit. But it is something I'd like to do a little bit more of. And I think it's something, I'm, you know, I've now got the kids are a bit bigger. I do get, will probably have the opportunity maybe to do was that. Was something you missed out? You, you, it was something that you missed out on a bit of time because of family? Yeah, I think, you know, I started having kids and then, you know, it's an it's expensive hobby. There's yeah, no question. Sure. That, you know, and if it's not if it's not sending you somewhere career-wise and you've got plenty of other places to spend money. Or if you're not having positive experiences with it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I haven't got my my set up the way I thought it was. It's an easy thing to set up, you know, put to the one side. That's right, that's right. But hopefully, um, and my daughter's showing some real interest in aviation. I'm trying not to get excited. So I could even end up living through her, you never know. (laughs) Vicariously. Something you could do together, maybe. That's right, that's right, yeah. Now, obviously... Creative Careers in Medicine is, is a network for doctors who are either diversifying or, or looking for opportunities to ver- diversify their careers. I'm interested, given the experiences that you've had, what advice you'd give to a doctor at any stage of the career, whether they're a junior one like, like you were when you sort of dived headfirst into RFDS work and, and everything that came with that, or someone you know, a, who's more established in their career, with regard to what advice you would have with regard to getting involved in aviation medicine? I mean, what are the benefits and what are the rewarding parts and, and also what are the, the things that they might need to be aware of and to look out for? Mm. Yeah, I think um, actually Michael Bonning, who gave the talk before mine, spoke really well about this and I, I think it has come up as a theme in a few sessions today about taking opportunities, saying yes to things that come your way. Mm-hmm. I think when you do anything off the beaten track where there's not a really, really clear pathway, that's it's really important to just sometimes take those challenges because sometimes even if you think that job isn't really for you, um, ultimately it's not something you can see yourself doing for a long time some of the connections you'll make and the skills you'll learn you might find yourself being really grateful for down the track so I think that whole concept that you know taking those opportunities and wherever you are or whatever job you're doing just throw yourself into it do a good job because if you do a good job and you and you are passionate about that at that time of doing it well then those other opportunities will come your way with aviation medicine, I think I, I, wonder, I think at the moment there is a there is a bit of a pathway. It's a small group of people who have that opportunity through the aerospace medicine training program, mm-hmm. and at the moment um, it's we've just been running it one year, but it's a registrar type program under the umbrella of the Australian College of Aerospace Medicine, which isn't a vocationally isn't a vocational um, fellowship at the moment, but maybe hopefully down the track. So often those doctors who are coming into that program will have either completed or be completing a fellowship in general practice or occupational medicine at the same time. Occupational medicine goes really nicely if you want to work in an organisation like an airline. Yeah. Um, but obviously there's not that many airline jobs around, so um, it is a small pool of jobs, but then there's a small pool of people doing that as well. Yeah. Um, so that training program does provide a formal pathway, and it's a three-year rotation, one year at Virgin, one year at Qantas, and one year at CASA. So it provides a really great experience in an aviation um, airline environment, but also in the regulator environment. Um, and, and that at the moment is a, is a sort of international first of its kind in the civilian industry. That, that sort of opportunity exists overseas in a, in a um, military environment. Mm. But um, it, we've been very fortunate to, to have that. Uh, and I think that's one career option. And it's a bit like the, 
I think perhaps for a pilot, you know, our pilots have come through a bit of everything, a bit like our these sort of portfolio careers we've put together yeah. with um, gathering skills from different experiences. A lot of pilots have gone up to the Northern Territory, done a lot of flying, gone elsewhere. You know, they've done all sorts of different flying to get their hours up to get into a job that perhaps might be an airline job that they wanted to. And there's also a cadet program, so it's a bit like the, it's a bit like the difference between those two things. Doing the training pathway that's on offer now is a bit like doing a cadetship. Um, you get an opportunity to have a pathway a little bit more mapped out for you if that's something that um, you would perhaps like. What that will equip you is with some um, skills and connections and interests to be able to, to be and, and a qualification at the end to be able to take that to organisations around the world. And I think if you're interested in aviation medicine, by nature you're probably interested as you're probably a traveller yeah. or you're interested in travel. Yeah. Um, and you have to think a bit globally because this is a small part of the world, you know, um, and there are opportunities overseas. So I think you have to be willing to just think on a more global scale, and that's part of the excitement of, of this industry. What's before I, we, I let you go, I wanted to sort of finish by asking you, so I guess, what is the most rewarding part that you, or the, the, the most rewarding parts of the work that you, you do at the moment that, the, the, that, kept, that keeps you going back and, and being so enthusiastic and excited about the work that you're doing? What, what's the most rewarding part for you that gives you that nourishment? Look, in truth, there's so many parts. I'm so lucky to have a job that's got so many different parts. You mm. know, I can be a, a traditional doctor in some parts of my day and feel like I'm having a one-on-one, -on -one, well, I am having a one-on-one -on -one interaction with a, in a patient type setting I, and, I, and, the, and the beauty for me in that and the rewarding thing in that is that I don't have a time constraint I'm not constrained by Medicare billing Yeah. if I want to spend an hour and a half because that's what someone needs and we have a cup of tea as well along the way that's what happens and sometimes it is just that value of that one on one interaction and that time you can give to someone that helps sort through things for someone who's been struggling going backwards and forwards to their own treating doctors for some time, because you get the opportunity to do that. But also rewarding is just being part of that massively bigger whole that is a big organisation and um, working with people in all areas who are all passionate, because in an airline, everyone's there because they want to be there. Yeah. It is an organisation, it's a dynamic organisation, it's full of passion and enthusiasm, no two days are the same. And it's not often you get to a job like that. Hello, Sarah speaking. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? It's Andrew. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for finding time. I know it must be a hectic week for you, but it sounds like... It's just been absolutely chaos in the last few weeks, but that's all right. We're getting there, I think, maybe. <laughs> I'll try I'll try and make it very quick for you. I was just, we, I was putting the finishing touches on that, that, that podcast, as I said in the email, and I discovered that you, when you were telling the story about how you arrived in Broken Hill, um, you'd gone there initially in search of a friend of yours who you'd said in the you know, conversation, you said that she'd gone off the radar and it just because we hadn't resolved it in the conversation, my um. wife my wife was listening back to like, I was editing it and she happened to be in the, in the office with me and she was hearing it and she's going, whatever happened to her friend? It sounded quite ominous. <laughs> was was she okay? Was, did everything work out all right? You don't have to go into all the details, but was she, did you track her down? Was she okay? So because the... Um because the thing, the thing was that she and I thought I'd try and turn that into a funny ending. I've been thinking about it because, of course, she picked me up 
in her convertible Mercedes and we drove off into the, you know, we, because she literally did. She turned up in this, the airport in this convertible Mercedes. So um, she was doing just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Yeah, no, she she did. She's still um, based out of Broken Hill, essentially. She, she, um, yeah, she remained there, had family, had a family subsequently, and um, no, she's very much remained connected to the area. I guess partly that's why I ended up sort of sticking around is that, you know, that I ended up, um, you know, we ended up flatting together effectively for a bit yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, she, that's right. So she was doing, she was perfectly happy and just um, busy, busy in the outback. <laughs> that was Dr. Sarah Suter. My thanks once again to her for being a part of the CCIM podcast. Uh, probably worth me quickly mentioning that she, of course, made reference during that chat to Dr. Michael Bonning and a point he made in his own presentation that same day about saying yes to things. And if you're interested in hearing more from Michael and his philosophies about being involved in various projects and roles that may pop up as opportunities um, in professional or alongside your career, um, he was, of course, the subject of our previous episode. Um, and in that chat, um, he had some really great insights that I'd certainly recommend going back to for a listen if you've not already this episode of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast is brought to you by the Royal Australasian College of Medical Administrators. RACMA is an accredited specialist medical college compromising medical practitioners with specialist training in management and leadership of health services and systems. To find out more about how you can go from doctor to medical leader and how RACMA might be able to help you do that, head over to racma.edu.au. That's R-A-C-M-A Thank you once again for listening. If you like this and any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues and maybe even give us a nice review on iTunes. Uh, It all helps get the word out. This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. We'll be back soon with more fresh episodes, so stay tuned.